Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, today's message entitled, Treasure in Jars of Clay. Treasure in Jars of Clay. We'll see that in our text as we work through it here today. The Apostle Paul has been speaking about this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been talking about this light that God has shined into the heart of those that have received Christ. As we saw last week in chapter 3, he talked about the transforming power of the gospel. From the inside out, God changing us, transforming us as we behold Christ. In, In chapters before, we saw Paul talking about the fragrance of Christ. Wherever we go, we are putting off the aroma, the fragrance of Jesus as he lives through our lives. We saw that he he referenced us as a letter, as if God has written his letter upon our hearts that is to be read and known by all men. We are the fragrance of Christ. We are a letter of Christ to our generation. And today we will see that we are also carriers of this treasure of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take it just kind of in small doses here at the beginning. There's so, so much here. It's so rich. I want to just take it bit by bit and unpack it together with you. So if you would look with me now in verse 1, Paul begins, first of all, to be encouraged by the ministry of the gospel. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says we have this ministry. What ministry? Well, the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that ministry. God has entrusted this glorious thing that we can share and bring life-changing power into people's lives. What else can you give someone and what else can you share with someone that could so radically impact their life as the gospel of Jesus, the truth of Christ. Paul says, God has entrusted this ministry to us as we have received mercy. You see, all, who, all that have partaken of Christ have received mercy. We're not better than anybody else. You know, sometimes you get that kind of feedback. Oh, you Christians, you think you're so holier than everybody else, but not really. We're just sinners that have been forgiven by Christ. We've received mercy too. And these things have been entrusted to us. You know, Christians, Christian ministers, let me remind us all, we are merely sinners who have received mercy. There's no room for religious pride. It's by grace that we've been saved. Not of works, lest any of us should boast. Paul would say this to Timothy about his ministry, and I'll just read these to you. I don't have these for you on the overhead, but just listen what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Paul understood that he had ministry because of God's mercy upon his life. And he said, because of this wonderful ministry that God has given to us, we don't lose heart. We don't get discouraged. We don't get, you know, downcast just because not everyone receives the gospel. We, We still believe that it has the power to change and impact lives. So we don't get discouraged. We don't lose heart. We just keep preaching Christ. 
We just keep sharing His love wherever we go, however opportunity God would give us. And we don't lose heart in that because we believe God has entrusted it to us. And we do it also, he says, with integrity. We've renounced the hidden things of shame. We're not being crafty or deceitful in handling the Word of God. You know, in Paul's day, there were false teachers. Those that were filled with pride. Those that shared God's word for self-serving purposes. Looking to be exalted over the people. Looking to take advantage of the people financially. You know, it's not unlike what we see even some today. Those that mishandle the word of God for the purposes of their own advantage. Paul said that's not how we conduct ourselves. We walk in truth before both man and God. Again, Paul's instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As we share, as we minister, as we preach Christ, we need to do it with integrity, not for selfish reasons or purposes, but accurately giving the word of truth. Well, we, re- we read on. Look, pick it up now with me in verse 3 and 4. He talks about the blindness of unbelief. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled by those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul said, listen, we share the gospel, but not everyone receives it. In fact, some seem to be blinded or like a veil is over their eyes. And he said, some of this is the work of Satan himself. He says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Satan has a certain authority in the earth. Satan has a certain temporal uh, rulership in the earth. Now, we know that he's been defeated by Christ at the cross. We know that his days are numbered. But in this, in this space of time, before Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth, Satan still has authority and rulership in the earth. Jesus would call him the prince of this, this world, the prince of the power of the air. And there is spiritual warfare going on to resist the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that the moment you say the word Jesus Christ, some people become irritated. Some people become irrational in their response. You can talk about Buddha. You can talk about Islam. You can share all kinds of Eastern philosophies and people are interested. And, and, but you start talking about Jesus Christ and all of a sudden they get their dander up. Why? What's going on? There are spiritual forces at work and Satan is looking to blind and keep in unbelief those that do not know the Lord. You know, he says that this blinding happens to those who do not believe. It's not as if people are incapable of hearing the truth of Christ and Satan just has them blinded. But rather, it is a kind of a a cooperation, Satan blinding those who refuse to believe. You see, when you resist the truth of the gospel, that gives Satan opportunity to completely deceive you and keep you in that place of unbelief. That's why the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. How often people hear the gospel and then, well, I'm just not ready. 
Oh, I just, I'm not ready for that. And they kind of stall it. They kind of, the truth is there, but then they find kind of a justification to just reject it. They're not ready, they don't want it, and they, they resist it. Well, then Satan comes and keeps that deception going, gives them all kinds of excuse and justification. It's this spiritual work, but it's also this uh, refusal to believe. Again, I'll quote a couple verses to give you uh, the understanding of that. In John 3.19, it says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You see, they reject the light because they don't want to change their deeds, and then Satan keeps them in the dark. He blinds them, he deceives them. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, Deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. When you reject truth, when you say no to Christ, you are actually putting yourself into a place of darkness, and Satan wants to keep you there. I want to encourage those of you that are believers, that have unsaved loved ones, co-workers, friends, family. I I want to encourage you to pray. Because it is a spiritual warfare. Satan has blinded the minds of those that don't know Christ. And it's not something that you can necessarily debate them out of. Have you ever tried that? You try to reason with them. You try to give you know, what you think are good logical arguments to consider Christ. And, and I'm all for those. I think those are good and positive. But oftentimes it doesn't really meet the, the, the mark in their heart. There's something spiritual going on. You have to pray. You've got to intercede. You've got to ask God to uh, remove Satan's grip on some of these people and their hearts and their minds. And then they're able to receive the word in faith. So many come to Christ as a result of someone else's intercessory prayer. Just take a quick survey here this morning. How many of you today, you, you're, you're born again Christian and you know it's the result of someone that was praying for you? A grandmother, a family friend, somebody was interceding and praying over you. And that gave opportunity, amen, for the Lord to work and bring the gospel into your life. Don't stop praying. Don't give up in prayer. You know, some, some uh, conversions take longer than others, don't they? And you have to continue to labor in prayer and continue to intercede and ask for God to send the gospel message and to loosen Satan's grip, bind his forces back in prayer and do the battle spiritually. And then the gospel has great opportunity to affect their heart and life. And when God comes into the life, there is this glory of Christ. The actual image of of God is seen in Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Do you want to know God? Do you want to see God? Behold Jesus. He is God is in the image of Christ himself. And this is why Paul felt so compelled to preach Christ. Look with me now in verses 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
That is a beautiful verse, isn't it? That God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, the God of the universe who said, let there be light, this is the God who has now shined light into your heart through the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God Himself has touched your heart. God Himself has commanded light to come into your life as you have come to Christ. That's why Paul says, we do not preach ourselves. How important it is for pastors, for teachers, not to preach themselves. Paul didn't promote himself. Now, he doesn't say that he never spoke of himself. In fact, this letter that he writes is, is actually, uh, he's very uh, transparent in this letter. He talks often of his own testimony. He's recently just told them about his struggles in Asia, how he was t- uh, pressed beyond measure, even despairing of life. But in talking about himself, he always used it as an opportunity to speak of God. He says, when we were despairing of our life, the God of all comfort came and rescued us. And now we trust in the God who can even raise us from the dead. So it's not that speaking of himself was wrong, but promoting himself. And this is what some even preachers, not only in Paul's day, but in our day too. It's self-promotion. Looking to kind of talk about how super spiritual they are. You know, they're always the hero in every story. They're, you know, it's their, their own ego. They're building themselves up. Their great faith, their great ministry, their great accomplishments. Pastors and teachers need to be careful that they preach Christ, not that they promote themselves. You know, testimonies are good. I love hearing testimonies. I love hearing how God has worked in a person's life and the transformation that is made when Jesus comes into the life. But you know, testimonies alone are not enough to mature and grow as a Christian. You can't just live on hearing testimonies. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to see Christ in the Word. You've got to study Jesus. And this is what we need to be teaching. This is what we need to be preaching. Testimonies are a wonderful tool to glorify Christ. And pastors and teachers can use, of course, their own life as an example for illustration or application in teaching the Word. But it must be always to point and exalt Christ. And even in giving stories and application, I think we have to be careful. It needs to be done in moderation. I like what Pastor Guzik says on this subject. He says, is it wrong for a preacher to tell a joke or to use a story from his own life? Of course not. But it is all a matter of proportion. It's like asking, is it all right to put salt in the soup? Of course. But don't put in too much. You know, even in my ministry, I, I do share various things from my life in trying to give illustration to how God has worked and how God wants to work. And some of those stories are, of course, very serious. Some are funny. But I do need to be careful and want to be careful and being transparent and honest and real. I want to make sure that it's always to illustrate and give application to God and ultimately to glorify Jesus Christ. You know, some people love stories. In fact, they wish I'd just tell nothing but stories. That's so fun. That's, that's, that's when they wake up for the story. But listen, stories alone will not develop and sustain you. You need the Word of God. We've got to teach the Word. We've got to preach Christ. Why? Because that's where the power is. 
That's the glory. That's, the, that's what's been shined in your heart. We don't need to be entertained. We need to be changed. I don't need more uh, emotional. I don't need an emotional moment. I need forgiveness of sin. I need peace with God. I need purpose for my life. Hope for the future. Truth and promises I can build my life on. I need Jesus. I need His Word. I need His truth in my life. Jesus is this treasure. He is this glory of God. We need to preach Christ. And we should have an appetite. Those of us that want to be taught, we should have an appetite to hear the preaching and teaching of His Word, wherein Christ is glorified. Well, read on with me. Look at verse 7. And here's where we find this beautiful verse, which is also the title of our study here today. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. This treasure. What is the treasure? It's the light and glory of Christ. The life-changing power of the gospel. We have this incredible treasure that God has deposited into our life. But he refers to our, our, our bodies as earthen vessels. Another translation says, jars of clay. Just when we think we're something, just when we think we're pretty, you know, impressed with ourselves, the Word of God reminds us that we are just jars of clay. So easy, isn't it, to kind of become self-consumed, self-absorbed, thinking ourselves, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, even in our Christianity, even in our ministry. Wow, God, it's a good thing you got me on your team. It's a good thing I'm, I'm representing you. Boy, I'm really something. Paul reminds us, look, the treasure is not you. You're just a vessel carrying the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. We are just jars of clay, weak, mortal, imperfect. And why? Why has God kept it this way, that the excellence of the power might be of Him? He knows how prone we are to glorify in ourselves. He knows how easy it is for us to kind of get puffed up in pride. So we are just jars of clay and, rem- and reminded that the real treasure is Jesus in our lives. Look on with me now, verses 8 and 9. And Paul speaks of some of the trials that he endured in his jar of clay. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The truth is that for the Christian journey, there are going to be times of difficulty. There are going to be times when we are so reminded that that we really are just jars of clay. But Paul says a number of things here, and I think you can all relate to this, hard-pressed. Have you ever been hard-pressed? Have you ever felt that pressure that is just on you from all sides? Hard-pressed. But he says, listen, you may be hard-pressed, but you're not crushed. God is with you. God God is sustaining you. Yes, there will be pressure. Yes, you will sense it. It will be hard, but you will not be crushed. God gives promise. Perplexed. I don't know about you, but that seems to be the pretty much state of my life. I'm always perplexed. I'm never really sure all that God is up to. Lord, I don't understand. Why this? Why that? I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. You know why? Because I trust Him. I've learned in my walk with God, He doesn't always explain it all to me. 
But I've learned to trust Him that He always is working on my behalf. He's always working things together for good. Not always immediately, not always evident to me, but in time. I see that He was there, He was working, He's for me, He's with me. I'm perplexed, but I don't despair. It doesn't overwhelm me. I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed by the things I don't know. Because there's something that I do know. That God is with me, that He's for me, that He loves me, that He's sovereign, that He controls all things, and that He's on my side. And that He's watching over me and taking care of me. So yes, we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted. And of course, the Apostle Paul was greatly persecuted in his ministry and in his life. And some of us have experienced, to some degree, persecution. And it may be that you will experience more in our culture today. But even when you are persecuted, be reminded that you are never forsaken. Didn't Jesus promise that when he said, Now go ye into all the world and preach this gospel, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. You may go and you may preach Christ and you may witness and you may, you may be persecuted. You may be ridiculed, but you're not alone. You're, you're persecuted, but you're not forsaken. God is with you. God is for you. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, struck down. I, I think of those times when I've just been kind of down and out. Of course, ultimately, even if we are struck down unto death, God will simply resurrect us. We we cannot be destroyed. But I'm thinking of those times in your life when you're not dead, but boy, you sure feel like it. You feel like maybe you might as well be. You're struck down. You're just out of it. You're you're overwhelmed. You feel defeated. It's like you're done. I can't go on anymore. I'm done. I'm just struck down. It seems like everything has stopped. This is a time to be reminded that you are not destroyed. God is with you. You will have seasons like that. There will be times of life that are confusing and overwhelming and you'll be challenged. But God is with you there. And not only is He with you, I I want you to look on with me as we pick it up in verse 10. God is working something, bringing life even from death. Pick it up, verse 10. Paul, speaking of his ministry and life, he says, We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be, may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. Paul quotes an Old Testament passage and says in the same way, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. He speaks of life from death. He says, you know, for the believer, for the Christian, we have been identified with Jesus Christ. Now, didn't Jesus say, listen, disciple, if they hated me, you know they will hate you. If they persecuted me unto death, then you know that the world will persecute you as well. There is a being joined with Christ that also is being joined in the sense of his death. 
Jesus was put to death by this world. Jesus was rejected by men. And if you're going to identify with Christ, Jesus said, if they hated me and I'm the the head, don't you know they're going to hate you too, my students? They're not going to be fond of you either. And Paul recognized that. Paul experienced that. And yet in the same way that he experienced that suffering of Christ, he also experienced the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. There was a power that that emanated through his ministry because of some of the suffering that he went through. Now I have to say, it pains me to admit this, but it's a biblical truth. That some of the best work that God has done in my character has come through trial and difficulty. Now I just hate that. Because I want God to keep working in my character but I don't want to go through any more trial. (laughs) But this is the way it is, church. This is the way it is if you want to grow in Christ. If you want to learn the depth of Jesus. If you want to experience what it is to really have spiritual roots that go deep. You're going to have to go through some things with the Lord. God's going to have to bring you through some trouble. You're going to have to have some times of perplexity. You're going to have to have some times of pressure. God is going to teach you and meet you in those places of death. And He's going to bring life. If you're honest and you've been walking with the Lord for any season in your life, you would acknowledge this to be true. Even though we don't like to think about it much, the truth is some of the best lessons we learn are the difficult valleys that God brings us through. And this is how the Lord works in the life of His, of his chief children, is that He brings us to that place of desperation, that place of turning to Him. Depth of character, Christ-likeness. These can only be discovered through some trials. And the truth is, they cannot be discovered apart from some trials. You know, we had uh, Pastor Armando from Calvary Chapel, Buena Park, up for the men's breakfast a few weeks back good friend of mine and Pastor Ray had invited him to come and speak to the men. Pastor Armando has been going through a very difficult trial. His wife's health has deteriorated to uh, really just a, a state where he is her constant caregiver. And he shared just a little bit with the men, you know, of how he was having to care for his wife on a day to day, hour by hour basis. And it's been going on, really, for years. This has been a long haul of a trial. And he spoke to the heart of the man, and he said, You know, I I realize that part of my ministry and part of what God has for my life is to love my wife and to care for her in this condition. Because he said, Nobody else can. Nobody else will. God has given this to me. And so I'm, I'm praying, God, keep me healthy. Keep me strong so that I can take care of my wife. Now, it's a horrible trial. And it's the kind of thing we pray, God, end it. Heal her. Deliver them. But I have to tell you, when he spoke those words to the men, every man in the room felt it. There was a power behind his words. It cut us to the quick. Some of the silly reasons that that we get upset with our wives. And here's a man praying for the grace of God to care for his wife. Ministered. It was out of that trial, out of that valley, out of that dark place. God has anointed His voice to to have impact. And isn't that what you want 
your life and ministry to have? Don't you want God's power and anointing upon your life, upon your prayer, upon your walk? It comes through learning Christ in those places of valley and those seasons of difficulty. And there's something that that just can't be duplicated any other way than God having brought you through it. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, these difficulties that we had, it turned out for your sake. It turned out to be a blessing for you. The grace has spread through many, and now the thanksgiving abounds to the glory of God. Paul understood that some of that suffering is part of what gave a power and anointing to his sharing of the gospel. And that gospel was hitting its mark in the hearts of the church, and it was producing and bearing fruit. And this is what God is up to. He's up to bearing fruit. He's up to working from an eternal perspective. Oh, and these things in the moment, we just want out. We don't understand it. We don't want it. But keep in mind, God is up to something. Something of eternal glory and purpose in your life. And that's what he says here in verse 16. Look with me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing... Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, really Paul, you call it light, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul refers to his trials, which were, in my opinion, you know, very heavy. He calls them light and momentary. And he's not trying to minimize trial. He's not trying to say, oh, it's all just easy, nothing to it. He's trying to say, in comparison to, yes, these trials are difficult. Some of you are going through difficult trial even today. Some of you are facing life-threatening disease. Some of you are going through cancer treatments that are difficult and, and long. And, and they're, they are, they're hard on you and they're hard on your family. And some of you are facing these kinds of things. Some are going through a terrible financial trial in this difficult economic season. Some of you are going through family loss and, and difficulty with uh, you know, marriage and children. And the trials of life are ever about us. And they are real and they are heavy in the moment. But listen, if you can raise your sights to eternity for a moment. If you can re- begin to see that even in trial, if I will put my eyes on Jesus, there is a work that he can do even in the midst of this difficulty. And that the glory that will come, having been faithful through the trial, having kept your eyes on Christ, having allowed him to use it in and through your life in whatever way he desires, the glory is not worthy to be compared to the trial. That day is coming. And it is as sure as you sit here today. You will be with the Lord. And I have this feeling 
That when I am there and I, I see Him and I'm known and I know Him as I am known and, and things all of a sudden are opened up to me and I'm going to see that trial, that hardship, that difficulty, how God was able to use it for some fruitful ministry in or through my life. In some cases, ways I don't even know. Things I never even saw. But I believe that when that day comes and I see it, I'm going to say, Lord, I wish I, I wish I wasn't such a sissy. I wish you could have done more through my life. You should have broken me even further because it would have been worth it to see what you have done, even through difficulty, even through trial. Think of the death of Christ. Look what God was able to do with the death of his son. Save the world. Save the world. Through death comes life. Look for those things that God is using in your life to produce eternal reward. And in comparison to the glory that will last forever, Paul says these things are light and momentary. Because he's looking with eyes of faith. He's looking in, uh, with eyes of hope and truth. I want to encourage you today. Trials cannot be avoided, church. I, I wish they could. If I had found that secret, I'd be happy to share it. But I do know that God is able to work in and through those trials and work deeply in my spiritual life and character. So what I want for my own heart, and I would share with you as well, is a desire to align my heart with Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was facing his deepest trial, he said, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I say this, and I hope I can live up to it, but I want to say, Lord, do what you must. Make my life fruitful. Even if I don't get it, even if I don't completely understand it, I trust you. Do with my life what's needful and necessary to cause it to bear fruit for eternity. Because in not very long from now, I'm going to be there. And we're all going to be there. And in that moment, it'll be worth it. It will be so worth it. Paul says that it's not even worthy to be compared. It'll be so much more worth it. Now, I know you can't see that. I can't either. But I want to trust him that much that I will be willing to allow him to work in and through my life that way. To use even difficult times for his glory. You may be hard-pressed, but you're not crushed. You may be perplexed, but don't be in despair. You may experience persecution. You will never be forsaken. You may be struck down, but you will never be destroyed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this promise today. Such a rich chapter, Lord. The Apostle Paul writing these things, God, not in theory, but in practice. Paul was not kind of talking about these things from an academic perspective he was talking as a man who was living through it and he saw it and he understood that this is how you were working in and through his life and so i pray today lord for us and for our hearts that we would be yielded and trusting in you lord i know there are many here that are struggling i pray that you would comfort them with these words today lord trials don't last forever in time, Lord, those who sow in tears, they will reap in joy. 
Help us to not lose heart and well-doing because we believe in your promises that you will work all things together for good to those that love you, to those that are called according to your purpose. Give us that strength, that grace, that hope, that faith to walk with you and to trust you. And Lord, help us to be faithful carriers of this treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would faithfully minister to our generation, that we would share Christ, that we would live for Christ, that Jesus, you would be all in all. And as you keep your heads bowed here today and we close in prayer for those of you that may not know the Lord, maybe you're here today and if you were honest, you would say, I do not have a relationship with God. I've never really received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never come and asked him for forgiveness. Maybe he's speaking to you today. If you were honest, maybe you would say that you, you know, you've been one that's been blinded to it for maybe even years. But today, all of a sudden, the clouds have cleared. God is speaking to your heart. And you know that you, you need Jesus in your life. I'd love to pray for you if you need to receive him. Receive forgiveness and this wonderful treasure come into your life. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You've drifted away from God and you're not living with Him or for Him in any way. And God is calling you back right now. You know in your heart Jesus wants you to rededicate your life, re-surrender your heart completely to Him and begin to live for Jesus. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ and you desire to receive him now or you would like to rededicate or recommit your life to Jesus, I would ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated and I will pray for you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. Any others here today? God bless you, sir. Over here on my right, a couple hands. Upstairs in the balcony. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? The Lord ministering to you. We're going to pray. God bless you, ma'am. Bless you, sir. I saw you as well. Amen. Anybody else? Just before I pray, see your hand. And so, Lord, I pray for these that have responded to your word today. I I pray, God, that you would meet them with your love and grace as they come sincerely and honestly to you. Lord, we simply come and we say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me for my sin. Please wash me by the blood that you shed on my behalf at the cross. I'm putting my faith and trust in you, not my righteousness, not my goodness, not my own works. But in what you have done for me, I receive it by faith. And not only cleanse me, Lord, but help me now to begin to live for you. Give me that faith to walk through even the trials of my life with a sense of hope and encouragement. Give me the grace to live for you and this treasure of the gospel. May it just radiate in our hearts and lives. And may it not only change us within, but may it flow and glow from without that we might impact the lives of others for your glory. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.